Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, but you can call me Alex and I am joined this week for a very special episode by my Keyforge chums, my Keyforge compadres, my Keyforge soldiers in arms. We've got the wheeling Keyforger Rick. Hey. And the man who made this particular episode very possible. It's Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Oh, sorry. Just uh, just here for gin. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yes. How, how's everyone doing? <laughs> I also am here for gin. And uh, folks who are with us should probably stay for gin. Yes. Oh, stay for gin, definitely. What I was alluding to and why this episode is so special is that Blake, out of the goodness of his heart, uh, was able to pick up some Worlds Collide decks uh, when he was at the Vault Tour in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, brought them back, and this past week we got to play with them a couple of times, get a little bit of experience with the set, so that's all we're going to be talking about today on Help from Future Self. It is a Worlds Collide spoiler cast, so if you've been avoiding spoilers for Worlds Collide, please, uh, we love you. You can skip to the very end of the episode where we do a Help from Future Self that is unrelated to Worlds Collide and, and sign off, or you can just tune into a future episode, but this episode we're just talking about about WC, our first impressions, and some cards that have us excited about it. Gents, are you ready to do this? I am. Oh, yeah. All right. So I want to start things off very, very, very basic um, with a bit of uh, a disclaimer. We do not have a ton of Worlds Collide experience as of yet. Blake has the most because he's had the most opportunities to play with a, a couple of different decks. Rick and I have only played with one deck each. Um, and have only had a limited number of games with those decks. So this is not going to be a comprehensive set review. This is not going to be us, you know, saying 100% this is what Worlds Collide is all is about. This is literally just first impressions. Let's get into it. I wanted to just start off with a very basic question, and that question is first impressions on Worlds Collide, the first feelings that come to mind on having played a couple of games. Blake, you have the most experience. Let's start with you. What are your first impressions from this set? So for me, I find that this set is the way the game is supposed to be played according to, I guess, the FFG intention is what I feel like. Because we're still seeing from my experience playing is big boards are happening still. Uh, that happened in AOA, but the folly with AOA is once the boards kind of happened, there sometimes wasn't a... A way to go further past the board it was a very much you either fight or you reaped and it wasn't really like much happening other than you gain an ember or you put damage on a creature or destroy a creature something like that that's how i that was my impression of aoa you created the boards but you didn't really have much utility in having a board sometimes now with this uh worlds collide I'm seeing that you're getting these boards, but all the creatures are like actions on a stick to a degree. They have play abilities, they have reap abilities, they have fight abilities, they have play fight reap abilities, so that you're having this utility of once they're on the board is you can use them almost like actions or even to play actions and whatnot. So it's really interesting that that approach has been taken, which means that the kind of coda just being able to play cards and not necessarily need to establish a board at times to, to get to the end game. Uh, is not here the same way, but it's more like you create this board, which is really intricate, has a lot of things that can happen and provides a, a lot of utility to further yourself within the game. That's really the one thing I've noticed. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that one. I've also noticed that there's lots of cards that make you think about how you're going to play them because they have an upside and a downside. 
They mm-hmm. have potential to benefit both players. So yes. it really forces that interaction in a way that I think is very much uh, in the spirit of Keyforge as it's intended. Yep, I would agree on that. Rick, what were your first impressions on getting to play Worlds Collide? Did the set get you excited? Oh, very, very much. Uh, the deck that I was able to get from Blake, thank you very much, Coach, had no both problem. of the new, uh, both of the new houses, the Saurians and the Grand Star Alliance. I have to say that my new favorite house is, I think, the Saurians. I Man, just there's... love the way they play. The, the way they play. There's a lot of untamed players out there who are are are, are crying right now to hear you say <laughs> that. The number one Rick, untamed champ you? in the world. Well, I I still love untamed. I'm like I'm looking forward to getting untamed and Saurians together. Yeah, which again was in my first deck that I got from. It it's been fun. Um, they haven't it hasn't won yet, unfortunately, because I'm still learning it. But it's it's definitely my playstyle. It's fun. It's it's go go go. It's aggro. It can be aggro. Um, I'm sure it can be played controlly as well i just need to learn that aspect of it cool very 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 excited with you rick how about you alex what are what are some of the the things that you've had for your first impressions on on the set getting to play your deck because i know you opened the superfly tnt out of all the decks that i i had within the pool that i gave out you definitely had i think the most superfly tnt of them oh yeah, yeah. We'll be talking a little bit about this deck as we get further into the episode, but I have to say, like, even leaving aside the fact that the deck that I opened up is really strong and really interesting, I was just really excited by the way that this set is presenting itself. Um, It feels like they really took to heart a lot of the flaws that existed in the game from Coda and from AOA. And especially compared to AOA, we've had so many conversations about this, maybe not on the podcast where we like to keep things really positive, but in between the three of us where we've said AOA feels a little bland in some ways. So many of the decks just feel like this sort of middle of the road, white bread, nothing really exciting about them. They all feel kind of samey. You know, it's so rare to get a deck in AOA that actually genuinely feels spicy. Whereas every WC deck I've seen and I've looked at and I've seen played and we've got to, you know, see a bunch of different players playing them at this point has been just like there's exciting new stuff happening. It's not just the newness of it. It's the way that it engages with the player and engages with Keyforge gameplay that makes them exciting. It's yep. the decisions that are uh, have to be made. It's mm-hmm. the way that things that seem really, really, really strong also have drawbacks that you know you have to take in consideration so that you can make them work properly. It's so many different aspects of what Worlds Collide is presenting itself as that you can't help but be swept up in the excitement around it. It feels like the Keyforge set that the real second Keyforge set is really the way that I've been thinking about it. The one where they looked at what Keyforge is and what Keyforge could be and said, let's work towards what it could and should be. And it seems like it's, it's to, you know, to, not to make too much of a joke of this, but like it's reaping benefits of the game having been out mm-hmm. in the wild and played. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Let's continue with something a little basic here. Um, we all have decks and we all have decks handy. Let's talk a little bit about cards that we enjoy one at a time. So uh, cards that we have in our own decks that we've had the opportunity to play with. Let me start by throwing it over to you, Rick. What is one card from the new set Worlds Collide that has you excited that you enjoyed playing? with? Uh, actually, just from the way that it interacts and stops combos, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in this. 
It's an upgrade. Imperial Scudum. You get an Amber Pip. It's a Saurian card. This creature gets plus two armor and gains destroyed. Move each Amber on this creature to the common supply. The effect of when you kill a creature with Amber on it, you get it. With this upgrade, you don't get it. It goes away to the common supply. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and also I think one of the things that we're going to be exploring as we talk a little bit more about this set is how much Exalt there is. Like, I don't think I understood until we actually saw these decks that Exalt isn't just like, you know, an occasional effect. It's all the time. Exalt's happening Mm -hmm. all over the place, especially in the Saurians. So, you know, this is actually has a huge amount of value for capture and so forth. Literally what Imperial Scudum says is... Uh, I can use like any capture mechanic, any exalt mechanic on this creature. And unless you can get rid of this upgrade, that Amber's gone forever. Yep. Mm, love it. What about you, Blake? So uh, the first one that I'm going to talk about is uh, from the Grand Star Alliance. And uh, it is, uh, I got a deck that had uh, the blaster, blaster combo. And it was Kirby's blaster with two calm officer Kirby's. And so I'm going to touch on Calm Officer Kirby because I think he's such a cool creature. Mm-hmm. He's a three-power human with no armor, and he has a play-fight-reap ability that says you may play a non-Star Alliance artifact, upgrade, or action card this turn. Like, the house cheat factor is amazing. And, uh, oh yes, I got to read the flavor text. It says, Fleet Command has to be out there somewhere. So... He kind of looks like a goofy dude on a scooter who's just just patrolling around and really looks like he has no idea what's going on. So uh, I love that he's kind of just like, must be out there somewhere. And yeah, I just, I love this card. It's it's so great. It basically says you can play any non-Star Alliance card that's not a creature, basically. And that is just so powerful because you're getting to get one more card out of your hand and you're also getting to house cheat. And the fact that it's you get it as soon as you play them as well as when you reap or fight, whichever benefit mm-hmm. means more to you. It's just so much utility. And it's, again, showcasing how once you have a board, you can start using things on your board like an action on a stick. That card specifically, that's the new, like, Witch of the Eye. Mm. It has, Oddly enough, when I play it, no one really deals with it. It was, like, such a low target. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not going to be long before people start prioritizing it as like has to be removed from table. You cannot let it live or else it's going to make your life a living hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some decks, I think it's going to be just ridiculous what it can do. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That game that you and I played that I barely, barely squeaked past you on. It was terrifying me every single time. Like I, I, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me, let me throw one out here. Um, both of my selections are cards that looked at in a vacuum. Don't look that great. In fact, they don't even make sense necessarily in a vacuum. And then when you play the set, you start to understand them, which is really cool. And one of the things that has me excited about Worlds Collide, Keyforge has, of course, always been interdependent. Things make sense when they are paired with other things, houses, card combos, etc. I love the fact that there are cards now that make so much sense once you actually play them a little bit and really get to understand what they're in a set with and what dynamics work with them. So this is a Brobnar card. Um, It's called Volcano. Let me read it to you. It is an action. Play effect. No pip of amber. Deal four damage to each creature. Gain two chains. If you said that to me in a vacuum, like I would be excited about that card. I would have said you're nuts. Like that, that sounds terrible. That's only a step above like uh, phosphorus stars in terms of its utility. That's an instant discard. What I didn't take into account 
um, and that became clear when you started playing is one, it's an effect in Brobnar, which means that it takes out everything on the board under uh, five power. Plus there's warding in this set. So if you're playing any kind of deck that has warding to be paired with Volcano, literally you can protect your own bodies from being taken out by this effect and then take out every small creature that your opponent has on the board instantly. So in a set that has warding, suddenly board clears have a whole lot of value. And especially one like this that isn't going to take out your big bodies or that you could protect via warding from being taken out, a card like this has tremendous value. It's a combo enabler. And it's also one of those ones where the, the ultimate dream of the board clear that takes out all my opponent's stuff and leaves me alone as long as you set it up properly. It's one that I was actually able to use really effectively a couple of times. And so Volcano and Brobnar is a card I'm excited about. Who knew? Interesting. Yeah. And then not to mention like the exalt factor. If they have smaller creatures that are exalting, then you can just get Ember off them as well for doing that. So it's a way of almost generating Ember potentially if you're going against an exalt deck. Absolutely. Rick, what's your second card? The second card is a creature. Prefectus Ludo. Creature. Dinosaur Politician. Five power. Dinosaur Politician. Each other friendly creature gains destroyed. Move each amber on this creature to the common supply. Yo, I hate that guy. I mean, I'm going to love him when I have him. I'm going to hate him when you have him. <laughs> yep. That seems pretty good. If you want to get even a single pip of or a piece of amber off of your opponent, this guy has to be prioritized for removal. And there's all kinds of ways that you can protect him in Saurian. You can mm-hmm. ward him. You can pop him next to creatures that have taunt, of which there are more than a couple. Like it is, once this guy gets played properly, or once he gets you know the the proper effects in and around him, he's going to be a real serious threat to your ability to generate amber for a lot of decks. Yeah, great. What about you, Blake? So my last one is, um, I don't know if, if it's, I like this because of the context in which I have the card, so I maybe should say that as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a Brobnar artifact called Iron Staff. You get a pip of ember for playing it. It's got an action ability of enrage a creature and give that creature a plus one power counter. Now, I love this card and I figured a way to abuse it because I have a deck that has three of them in it. Oh my God. And it has one of the Stiltkin guys which is basically a skirmish two power goblin and so i just like to use like use three at once on it and give it plus three power and it's enraged once and it can get skirmish and fight i find so good and i found the utility of this as being a both offensive and defensive card because you can offensively make your creatures bigger to attack with or you can defensively take a creature with a powerful reap ability and make it not able to do that and have to fight into something and potentially die depending on how your board's set up. So I just absolutely love when I have all three out and I can just boost up a creature. And then there's other things too, like you can use this to trigger an ability that says like if a creature, I think it's it's in this exact deck, it has the regrettable meteor, which is destroy all dinosaur creatures or uh, creatures six power or higher. So you can even basically give a creature that's a five a one power to make it in six and now becomes part of the regrettable meteor damage so i just find that it's got so much utility that upon reading this card i was like i don't know if i like this card like i actually was like wrote this deck off because of this card because there's three of them and then i i started realizing the power of when you can activate it multiple times on one creature Mm -hmm. or multiple creatures depending on how you want to do it it's it's just fantastic and it and it's kind of an engine for that deck with the way it can manipulate the board state on both
both sides, your opponents and yours. So I absolutely love this artifact. And the fact you get an ember for playing it is just that much better. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, also, you mentioned Regrettable Meteor. If you're playing a Saurian deck and you look at your opponent's deck and you aren't looking for Regrettable Meteor, um, that is a mistake you're probably not going to make twice. This is the yeah. first time I felt like there's actually like a faction hate card that people are going to be wary of. For some yep. reason, Common Cold was never one that people really thought about that much. But no. like, seriously, Regrettable Meteor is is going to be a nasty, nasty one to have to contend with. Yep. I actually um, have a story with that. Because I um I played Dan and I from Sanctimonious. We played a webcab game and we didn't look at each other as like deck lists or anything. And he had a Saurian deck as well. And I was playing this exact deck with the IR staffs and everything. And I went the entire game not playing Saurian and just using my Logos cards to archive my Saurians. And then he built up the Saurian board and he had like 10 Ember on his creatures from Exalting and everything. And then I just suddenly went pick up my archives. I dropped the Regrettable Meteor, wipe all of his dinos off the board, get 10 Ember. And then I managed to just drop then four dinosaur creatures with crazy abilities and just like he got wrecked. And he was like, wow, I guess we need to look at our, uh, our list before we uh, we play these games in the future because he just didn't see it coming and didn't even think of it. Like you said, if you know it's there, you're going to play around it. And he didn't realize it because he didn't look at my list. And yeah, it was just like like in sealed. If you have Sorin and you see you're going up against another Sorin deck, you got to keep that in mind because that mm-hmm. this is going to be a real thing. The regrettable meteor with the Sorin on Sorin hate. Because yeah. I mean, they're politicians. They're They're brutal to one another. I mentioned this on an early episode when we were doing previews for this set. The fact that we play a game that has a card that is, you know, by type dinosaur politician is is awesome. That makes yeah. me so like that makes me happy. Um yeah. let me throw out another Saurian card for my second pick. Um this one makes almost no sense in a vacuum and then once you play suddenly you understand it real well. Um the card is called Exile. It is an action You get one amber for playing it, and the play effect is this. Give control of a friendly creature to your opponent. So, in a vacuum, you look at that and go, well, there's, I guess, a limited number of creatures that have uh, sort of negative effects that, you know, sort of impact you when you play them, but very few that are so bad that I would literally give my opponent a tool to use against me. What you need to understand about Exile is that There are so many ways to put Amber onto your own creatures through Exalting and through Capture in House Saurian that then you can exile a creature that has a ton of Amber sitting on it over to your opponent's side where then you can take it out and get all of that Amber. So literally, this combos with a card uh, that I have in my deck called Tribute that allows you to uh, basically capture two Amber and then exalt to capture another two Amber. So you can put five Amber onto a card, exile it, and then kill it with your dino creatures, and you're sitting pretty. It is a disgusting combination. Um, yep, I fell victim to that. It is it is like a, such a good burst card. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I it's stopped not- it. Because you had that artifact. I yep. remember I sent a guy across the board who had like 10 amber on him, and you were like, nope. Yep. And <laughs> I had the, cool. the Ludo as well. Yeah. Um, not to mention also the fact that there's tons of other cards that allow you to then sort of like play with that amber that you have exalted onto your creatures. Mm-hmm. I just love the fact that Exile is a card that when you looked at it in the context of like Coda or AOA, you'd be like, this card is garbage. Why would yep. I ever do this in a thousand years? This is an instant discard. And then suddenly it makes sense once you start playing the game. Oh, yes. man. It's oh, so yeah. good. So exciting. I'm looking for that card moving forward. You definitely put that on the radar as like 
like top tier. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question. What do you feel um, is developing as the identity of the Saurians and the Grand Star Alliance? Like if we look at classic Keyforge houses, every single house has an identity. Like Brobnar fights, Shadows steals, Logos draws, Dis controls, Mars does a little bit of everything. Um, you know, Sanctum protects and captures. W- what do you feel like the major effects or the major identities associated with the new houses are, Blake? For me, it's the Saurians are, they have that kind of, like they're selfish because they're they're kind of doing something that gives you a benefit, but at the, the risk of the overall game plan, which Exalt kind of has. So it's like you're, you're, you're getting that like sneaky sort of like, like, like it's like stealing from yourself almost in a way mm-hmm. and just putting yourself at risk to do something, which I feel like is a very politician type thing to do. Definitely. That's, that's kind of how I, I viewed the Saurians, but the star Alliance I feel is like, they're like everyone's friend because there have so many things where so many abilities and so many different cards that kind of say, um, like you get to do something else. That's not star Alliance. Like there's like reap, use another friendly creature. There's from commander Chan. Then you have the commander Kirby, which lets you play other cards. There's so many things like that. It's like they're everyone's friend and they want to get along and, and unify everyone together. That's kind of the vibe I get. Although I will say that out of the two star lines feels a lot more trickier to pilot than uh, mm-hmm. than the Saurians. The Saurians, you have more risk, but it seems a little bit more clear where the star Alliance I think is more complex because you have so many things that can daisy chain into one another to create a really powerful uh, effect on the game. They're almost like the new Mars in that way. Like, you know, the yeah, whole thing except, with except Mars. not self-sabotaging. They're like they're like unifying instead of sabotaging because Mars was like known for like self-sabotaging and not caring about anything including themselves mm-hmm. whereas the this feels more communal like the star alliance is trying to bring everyone together on the crucible and, and be that hub that that like unifies yeah i i would definitely agree with that i feel like if we wanted to reduce it down to like you know sort of one word descriptions kind of like you know untamed bursts we could almost say like uh you know the Saurians exalt and exalt is the ultimate like expression of risk reward. You're putting yep. an amber mm-hmm. on your own creature, but hopefully with an effect that justifies the cost of potentially putting that into your opponent's hand. And we can say that uh, the Grand Star Alliance helps every yep. single effect they have helps you either other creatures within Grand Star Alliance or other creatures in your other houses. So I love yep. those two dynamics. I think they add so much to the gameplay. There's so much like mental energy that's going to go into thinking about the ways in which those are going to interact with the ways that we play Keyforge already, which is why this is such an exciting time. We don't even, you know, understand the tip of the iceberg, I think. All right. Uh, we've been talking for about 25 minutes already, so let's move on to the, everybody's favorite segment. It's certainly mine. We call this one... Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. And I got one for us this week. Um... Blake gave us a great tip last week that I really want to reiterate here um, and sort of uh, chain it into my help from future self, my little lesson for all the listeners out there. Um, Blake had suggested putting down your hand on your opponent's turn and not wasting your mental energy thinking about what you're going to play and just focus on what your opponent is doing so you don't miss anything um, and so that you're not wasting energy on things when you can't actually do anything. That's a great practice. And uh, I started doing it after you mentioned it, Blake, and I feel like games were a lot more focused and a lot less mentally taxing. Um, 
I also wanted to mention that compressing the amount of space that you take up with your stuff um, has really helped me focus on the game. Um, those of you who played against me, which would include both of you many times, <laughs> know that I tend to spread my stuff out a lot. Like I got my draw pile like, you know, uh, an arm's length away and my archive like another two feet beyond that. And I got a pile of tokens sitting in the middle of the table. You know, I'm taking up the space of three people. And what I actively tried to do this past weekend when we were playing was put everything onto my playmat as much as possible. Move my artifacts up into the middle of the board so that I was always mindful of them. Have my draw discard and archive down at the bottom of my playmat. Have my tokens right there as well. Um, you know, have my uh, my Archon card, you know, accessible and in front of my face as well. And what I found was that compressing that space made it so much easier to be mindful of what was going on in the game. It was almost like playing a game on TCO where you see everything that's going on and you're not distracted by too much of uh, other stuff going on. And it really helped me with mindfulness. So I guess that's my my help from Future Self from this week is if you have problems like myself with getting distracted, with mindfulness, with keeping your eyes, ears, and brain on the game Put down your hand during your opponent's turn and try and keep your stuff all within your line of sight and your field of vision so that you're not distracted by outside factors. And that'll help keep your mind in the game and on the game. Yeah, it's good advice. Very much agreed with that. All right. Blake, before we get to the very end of the show, you had something that you wanted to address a little bit. Yeah. So one the one of the main comments I've, I've had from people uh, when I encounter them and they're enjoying the podcast is they always mention to me how... They say, oh, you, you always say it's a casual podcast, but you guys talk about a lot of competitive stuff. And these kind of want to address what we mean by casual. We don't necessarily mean like only casual play. It's just we have a very casual approach. Like we're, we're friends who are just having a chat about Keyforge. And we're going to obviously talk about competitive things. We're going to talk about fun things. We're going to talk about the actual casual side of the game. And that's what we mean by it's a casual podcast. It's not specifically on just one thing. We like to have a conversation about the game in all its functions. Yeah, so I think going forward, we're really going to focus on the idea of this as a conversational Keyforge podcast that takes into account casual play, competitive play, and all the other aspects of the game and how they impact our own lives and our friendships. Indeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said it great on Twitter this week, Blake. In Keyforge, you don't just forge keys, you forge friendships. And I, I think the three of us are a great example of that because, you oh, know, yeah. we only just met uh, over the course of the last year. And I talk to you guys every single day. And it's all yep. about this game and because of this game. And I really treasure that. It's very valuable to me to have Same that in here. my life. Yeah, I agree. I really appreciate both of you, and uh, I, I love the fact that we get to do this together. And it's been really heartening the amount of great feedback we've received over the podcast, especially recently. Somebody oh, popped yeah. into uh, my game on TCO just today, literally only to say that they enjoyed the podcast and thank us for doing it. And like that is the greatest reward we could ever possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much for listening. You're terrific, and we love you. We got to get out of here. Please check us out at HFFS Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on The Crucible and on Twitter and Instagram. Where can they find you, Rick? On The Crucible at Rickster78 and on Twitter at The Wheeling Keyforger. What about you, Blake? You can find me on Twitter as the best place to have a conversation at BLVD Paper Fight and on Instagram as well at Boulevard Paper Fight. Those are my two best channels to reach out. 
Please enjoy playing Keyforge. Spread the gospel to all your friends, all your loved ones. We will be here next week with yet another episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, why don't you stay for gin? <laughs>